Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. All right, you can uh, please go with me to the book of James tonight. While you're turning tonight to uh, the book of James, the epistle of James, um, I'll give you just a quick little uh, background here of what's going on. Uh, James, the book of James is most likely uh, written by James, who would have been the half-brother of Jesus, okay? Uh, There's a couple of different Jameses mentioned in Scripture. Of course, there's James the Elder, who would have been John's brother, John, who wrote the Gospel of John, Book of Revelation, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Disciple of Christ. Um, And uh, now he, we haven't got there yet in the Sunday morning study that Pastor Jason is leading us through. But in Acts chapter 12, we read about the martyrdom of that particular James, uh, the, the brother of John. So he was martyred as a Christian very early on in church history, probably not the author of this epistle. There's another James, James the Younger, James the son of Alphaeus. That was another disciple, another apostle of Jesus of the Twelve. And uh, he um, does not, there's not anywhere in church history that's written that he ever wrote an epistle or anything, really. Uh, so probably not that James either. The most likely candidate then is, Je- is Jesus' half-brother, James, uh, who would have um, been, of course, around during the ministry. We read about Jesus' siblings. Of course, Joseph and Mary can, you know, had children you know, after, after Jesus was born and all and that kind of thing. So, um, and Jude is another half-brother of Jesus, right, writing the epistle of Jude later on, right before the book of Revelation. So there's several there. And, of course, lives changed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that's evidence here of this. So we have the book of James, probably written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. But the epistle itself is about Christian maturity, about growing up in Christ, Uh, that's something we expect people to do, right? If you had a child and the child never grew up, you'd be a little concerned about that child. And so that's the same idea that James has, only growing spiritually, that we're becoming spiritually mature Christians, growing up in Christ. Another way that people have looked at or I've heard it described before is kind of a commentary, so to speak, on the Sermon on the Mount. So if you take that passage of Scripture that Jesus spoke, one of the greatest sermons preached, the Sermon on the Mount, James is almost writing the commentary to that sermon. There are a lot of things that are similar there between those uh, two, between the Sermon on the Mount and this particular uh, epistle. But this portion of Scripture uh, that we're going to be reading tonight, James chapter 1, verses 18 to 27, is dealing with our maturity, our growth, is dealing with the proper use of God's Word, and it's dealing with uh, the uh, relationship of the child of God to the word of God. That is what his focus is throughout the rest of the book. And he brings it together. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus' prayer in the garden in John chapter 17. And that is what James is uh, concentrating and focusing on, that through the word of God, the sanctification process uh, happens and takes place. A believer must be rightly related to God's word in order to grow and mature in their Christian faith. And so James opens up with a contrast 
talking about where do trials, where do temptations come from, uh, the testings of life, but also the temptations that come from our sin, from our desire to sin, the lust that is in us. Uh, and he contrasts those two things. And so we have to understand the correct relationship of the believer to the Word of God in order to respond correctly to the situations uh, that come up in life. And so three things here tonight that we're going to look at uh, that we must do in relation to the Word. One, receive the Word. Two, respond to the Word. And finally, practice the Word. Join me as I read in James uh, 1, 18 to 27. It says, Of his own will begot he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Let's pray together. God, we pray today again that you would just apply your words to our hearts and lives now, God. Help us as we focus in to your words specifically. Help us to see you, Lord, and help us to see ourselves in light of the word, God, that we may experience the growth and maturity that you desire for us in our Christian walk and our faith. And God, help me and give me the words to say that it be your words and not my words. In your name we pray. Amen. So we begin tonight by looking at receiving the word, receiving the word. And we're going to back up just one verse to verse number 17 and kind of begin there. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variables, variableness, excuse me, neither shadow of turning. And so James has just begun to transition here to what he's going to be talking about for the rest of it. It'd be very easy for us to look at these verses and kind of look at them as little things, little individual verses of phrases that we can take, and, but it's all connected. It's all one big idea. They connect to each other. They're connected back to this. James is making applications uh, throughout this first part in this opening area. And so what James is making this contrast, he's saying the temptations that we've talked about already in these verses, they are not from God. God is not tempting you to do evil. That was just a few verses back from, from verse 17. God cannot be tempted with evil. Doesn't, he does not tempt any man with evil. Okay, so that's not the good. What is the good? The good and perfect gift then is the word of God, which comes down from Father uh, of lights, with whom is no variableness. That is what the good and perfect gift is. And here is what James says about that good and perfect gift in verse 18. He's, trans, he's transitioning. Of his own will begot he us with the word of truth. That's the contrast there. The first relationship that James is talking about that we have with the Word is that we are being born by the Word. We are being born through the Word, born again. Let's go back to John chapter 3 for just a minute. I want you to go with me on this. John chapter 3, Gospel of John. 
born by the word. In John chapter 3, in verse number 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus here, and he tells him the exact same thing. In verse number 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then you jump down to verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So the idea of being born of the word is all through there, and that is how we come to Christ. We are come to Christ through faith, through reading the word, and our first relationship is by being born again of the word. All right, Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. There is somebody in your life right now that you could think of that led you to Christ most likely. Maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a teacher, maybe it was a Sunday school, maybe it was a pastor, maybe it was a VBS worker. There's somebody in your life that you could sit back and think, you know, they shared the gospel with me, and because of their witness, because of their testimony, I, was, I understood the word and I accepted Christ as my Savior. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, but ultimately it is faith in God's word through salvation. So we have heard and believed the gospel. Another kind of thing I'm going to throw in here real quick is that this one verse should end the debate that uh, people have over the book of James. There's a lot of theologians. Martin Luther, the great reformer, okay, uh, did not like the book of James because he incorrectly thought that James was saying that salvation is faith plus works. There's other people today that would still look at James and say he's teaching a faith and works salvation. It's only his faith alone through Jesus Christ alone, and they would contrast that with Paul. But that's not at all what James is saying. And this one verse actually is evidence of that because, he, because again, what does it say in verse 18? Of his own will be God he us with the word of truth. It is by the word. It is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. He does not believe in faith plus works equals salvation. But that is our first relationship with the word, that we are born of the word. And then we are instructed by the word. We are instructed by the word, James 1, 19 to 21. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save, our, to save your souls. Verse 19 gives us three quick instructions for properly relating to the word after the new birth, based on that, and contrast to the temptation already given. Again, these are, this is all one big thought. This is all one thing. The verses in here were added later on. James didn't stop every time and say 13 and write it out, and then 14 and write it out, and 15. He wrote the whole thing as one big epistle, one letter. So it's all connected together. It's our lust and sin which causes us to respond incorrectly to God's word. And so what we find with immature Christians, with many Christians who are not growing in their faith, is that they're not able to handle God's word properly. The Bible is sufficient for salvation. It's sufficient for spiritual growth as well. And we're not properly related to the word, and so many people begin to misuse God's word. They fall into a trap of not being able to grow spiritually because they're not using God's word correctly. They've never been taught. They've never learned. They're not doing it. So what are the instructions? Go back to verse 19. Let every man be swift to hear. Swift to hear has a relation we're going to see in just a minute to verses 22 to 27. 
its relation to doing the word. We have to be swift to hear, swift to hear the word and take it in, slow to speak. That's the second exhortation. Excessive talk. But slow to speak is comparing the conduct with our speech. Okay? It's talking about the two things. What comes out of our mouth is, uh, is a reflection of what is in our heart. What are we hearing in the conduct and so forth? Slow to speak. Proverbs 17, 27. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. And the third one is slow to wrath. Proverbs 4.29, he that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. And we see there also man's anger does not produce God's righteousness. That's connected again back to the first part of chapter 1, okay? Uh, and, and the improper response, a, a Christian who's not growing, a person who is drawn away of his lusts. Anger does not produce a righteous life that God would have for us. And so James gives us the idea here of how to be instructed with the word. We have to have a prepared heart. Look again at verse 21. It says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. I read this uh, quote this week again. It's in Warren Wiersbe's book. But it says this, We mark our Bibles. Do our Bibles mark us? How many of you like to do that, right? You maybe underline a verse in your Bible, uh, maybe take a highlighter too. I know they have special highlighters because Bible paper, a lot of times the pages is printed on is a little bit different kind of paper than just like this printer paper, say. It's a little thinner. So they have special highlighters for Bibles. Some people have, I know Megan has one, a journaling Bible. There's extra space on the margins. There's just blank lines and you can write little notes about what you're reading, Okay. We mark our Bibles, right? But the question, and the more important question, is do our Bibles mark us? Is the Word of God getting into us? Are we rightly related to God's Word that it's changing us from the inside out? What happens when there is none of that going on is the deception that's talked about here. That's what this all is about. Stop kidding yourself. A person is deceived whenever they are doing those things. Someone who hears the Word but does not do anything about it will never come to maturity, there's people that bounce around from one sermon to the next, and you can hear lots of podcasts. There's nothing wrong with that. I listen to podcasts. You can listen to all kinds of pastors. But bouncing around without allowing God's Word to change your life is not growing in maturity. It's not using God's Word properly. To use God's Word profitably, I jumped ahead. <laughs> Sorry, guys. All right, the prepared heart. Our heart is like a garden. I missed this whole part. i got to go back and say this. I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, so verse 21 again. That's where I'm at. I jumped ahead of myself. Verse 21 is where we're at. If, our heart, if a garden is left to itself, it will grow weeds, right? Many of us grow. Many of us have gardens. We have things there. Weeds will grow. Sometimes the weeds will grow a little bit easier than the plants we want them to grow, doesn't it? So what do we have to do? We have to prepare our hearts, okay? That's what it is with the engrafted word right there. The engrafted word is planted. What is planted in your heart, okay? So we have to get rid of the filthiness. We have to get rid of the superfluity of naughtiness. What is that? That's remaining in wickedness, putting it away, 
put away the wickedness from us. So we have to prepare our heart, just like we would prepare the ground before we get ready to uh, uh, grow something. Confess sin, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, we have to meditate in God's word by plowing. Jeremiah 4, 3 says this, For thus saith the Lord, the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. All these things are done in an attitude of meekness. Verse 21 again says that, meekness. It's the very opposite of wrath. A lot of times our hearts can get hard, can they not? A person who is unsaved can have a very hard heart. We have to break open that ground. There's multiple times in uh, the prophets of the Old Testament where that analogy is used for repentance. Hearing the word of God, acting properly on it. Being proficient in how we use the word as a mirror. Now we can go to responding to the word. That's what it is. Hearing involves doing. Hearing involves doing, okay? So to use God's word profitably, we have to gaze into it carefully. Let's look here again, 22 through 25. Let's look at those verses. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty... Continueth therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So responding to the word. The first thing was receiving the word. So we receive the word when we are born again. We receive the word in our hearts continually. It changes, it grows. Our heart is prepared for that implanted word, that engrafted word. Now we respond to the word. Okay, What are we doing with that? We have to go with the analogy that's given us here. We gaze into it carefully. Again, James is answering what he said in verse 19. If you're going to be, if you're going to be uh, uh, swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, then you have to look into God's word, use it properly, be skillful in that, recognizing the sufficiency of the scripture for those things. Okay? The word of God demands a response. You can't merely look at God's word and then walk away. It is powerful and demands a response. We have blessing in what we're doing, James 1.25. We're blessed in doing of the word, not merely in reading it and hearing it, but in the doing of the word. And so we must respond. Hearing involves doing. So what do we do? We respond with action. We have to respond with action. Remember, the analogy is a person looking into a mirror. When you get up in the morning, you look into a mirror, don't you? I do. <laughs> I know sometimes I didn't, my hair's not sticking up tonight. Some of you may say you don't look in a mirror because your hair's always sticking up. <laughs> but that's intentional. But, but we do, don't we? We get up in the morning and we look in a mirror because we would not dare go out to our workplaces or to, our, to the store or wherever without first fixing ourselves, Right? That's, that's exactly what James is trying to say here. So if looking into a physical, actual mirror results in action on your part of adjusting and fixing your face, then looking into God's word should result in action of adjusting and fixing your spiritual life, of growing in your spiritual life, not for salvation, not to maintain or keep your salvation, 
but because of your salvation, we are growing in Christ. Examination. That's the first ministry of the word. The first ministry of the word is examination. That's what a mirror is. You use it to examine your face. You use uh, the word of God to examine your spiritual life. You'd be able to see the things that need attention. But very often we make three mistakes whenever we are using the mirror for daily examination. We're, we're looking at the word. We're doing daily reading perhaps, but we're making mistakes in those things. The first thing is sometimes we merely glance only. Daily reading is very good. And one thing that James wants us to understand from this passage of Scripture as well is that religious practice is different than actually growing in Christ. An outward show of religion is different than the actual inward change. And so merely glancing at God's Word only, maybe using it like a checkbox, and you say, well, I read my Bible for the day, prayed for the day, and I'm ready to go. That can become an issue in our life. We're not growing. We wouldn't just wake up in the morning first thing, look in the mirror and go, okay, good enough, and walk out the door. We'd spend some time there, spend some time in God's Word daily. It should not be a religious exercise only. The next mistake that is often made is that we forget what we see. We come to God's Word. We're challenged by God's Word. We go away from it, and we kind of forget about it, right? Hear a sermon, and you're there in the moment in the Spirit, and then it's time to go eat lunch, and you kind of forget about it a little bit. But here's three people here from the Scripture. They didn't forget what they saw. Isaiah 6, 5. Then said I, Woe is me, for I'm undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have what seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Here's Simon Peter in Luke 5, 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down and Jesus knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Job 42, 6. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. They had an encounter with God. They had an encounter with Jesus. And they did not forget and it changed their life. An encounter with God's word should remind us of our sinful condition and cause us to want to change. A third mistake that is often made is failing to obey. Reading and talking about the word of God is good but obeying it is better. There's no substitute for obeying what the Word says. So the first ministry is examination. We are to examine, using the Word of God, our spiritual life. The second ministry of the Word as a mirror is restoration. Restoration. Okay, A person who wants to be restored will do more than just casually glance into the Word. There's actually a contrast here. Look again at verse 23, or 24, excuse me. It says in the King James, for he beholdeth himself. Okay, now jump over to 25. But whoso looketh. Those are two different words. Beholding is kind of like looking in the mirror going, ah, good enough, and walking away. Looketh, in verse 25, is a steady and constant gaze in the mirror, fixing the things that need to be fixed. Okay, so there's a contrast even in those verses. Okay, the idea is to continue in that daily examination as well. So a person that wants to be restored is going to do the verse 25 looking. They're not just going to do the verse 24, eh, it's good enough, let's go on. Okay, the blood of Christ cleanses us from guilt. The water of the word removes defilement. We need to come back to the cleanser of God's word daily. And then there's another ministry of the word as a mirror. Number three, the transformation. Transformation is another ministry of the word. 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, 
are changed in the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. That is where it says in verse 25, the perfect law of liberty. In the Old Testament, the law of God was written on tables of stone. It was placed in the Ark of the Covenant. But in the New Testament, in Christ, the law of Christ, the law of God is written on our hearts. That's where the word of God should be in our hearts. We hide it in our hearts so we might not sin against him. Warren Mearsby said it this way about 2 Corinthians 3.18. When the child of God looks into the word of God, he sees the son of God and he is transformed by the spirit of God to share the glory of God. It's a change. It's a change in our life. It's like the caterpillar that becomes a butterfly, right? Metamorphosis. That's the word. Caterpillars are somewhat ugly. Okay? They could probably be a little bit beautiful, I guess. But they look a lot better after they come out of the cocoon, don't they? When that butterfly emerges, it's a lot more beautiful to look at. Okay? And that is the change. It's a process. What is inside is showing out. It's a process that we go through, so don't be a forgetful hearer. So we receive the word, we respond to the word, and finally tonight we practice the word. Last two verses, James chapter 1, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Practicing the word. James uses the word religious. He uses the word religion a couple different times in these two verses. The word religious that's there, actually the Greek word that he's using is only used four times total in the New Testament, and two of them are right here. All right, uh, and so this religious, this word that he's using, is in relation to the service of a lowercase g God. It's talking about all the ritualistic practices and all the things that other religions in the world do to try to worship their God. It's all a lot of outward show. Lowercase g, that's why it's talking about. That's what he says. If any man seems to be religious, but he doesn't bridle his tongue, he's deceived. He's kidding himself. Okay? There are many religions in this world. There are many religious practices and rituals that the people that follow these religions go through. But a lot of it is an outward show, and it is trying to earn salvation. And that's the thing. Like, why James is not teaching to earn salvation through works? Because he's telling people right here in verse 26 and 27 that you can't do that anyway. And that it's wrong to attempt to have that outward show of the, of the world only. It's the, it's the inward change. Pure religion has nothing to do with ceremonies and temples and special days. It's all about practicing the word. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a special day at church. There's nothing wrong with having a homecoming Sunday, for example. And you need to come to church. And you should sing. And you should tithe. And you should do all those things, but not because it's a ritualistic habit that you're just doing as an outward show. We're doing these things because we have an inward change and we have a love for God that is expressed through worship. All of those ways are worship. When we sing, it's worship. And we give our tithe, it's worship. And we pay attention to the word of God, it's worship. We come to church, it's worship. We go to Sunday school, it's worship. It's not a ritualistic practice, and it shouldn't be. And the King James uses the word vain. I think the ESV, probably some other modern translations, use the word worthless there in verse 26. It's a worthless. The outward show of religious practice without an inward change is worthless. It's a worthless religion. 
if we're not showing growth and maturity and specifically related to our speech. This was something that came up in Sunday school. I was teaching Sunday school for uh, Ben the other, uh, this past Sunday, and it came up there as well. But what we say is very important because it shows what's in our heart. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What is in our heart comes out through our words. And that's the connection again back to the mirror of God's word. We were told to be what earlier on? Slow to speak, right? Slow to speak. Swift to hear, slow to speak. How are we using God's word? Are we allowing God's word to fill up our hearts so that what comes out is worthy, is praiseworthy, is honorable? That's a connection back there that shows growth and maturity, that a person is rightly related to God's word. But if they're not, they're demonstrating by their actions they don't have a proper relationship to God's word. That's why they're deceiving themselves. That's what James is saying. They're deceiving their own heart. Not controlling your speech is a sign of that. So James is beginning this, and of course he expands this. This is one thing. He, he talks about speech, conduct, and character throughout the entire rest of the book. But he introduces those three concepts here in what we call chapter one now. Speech, conduct, and character. So controlled speech. Pure religion. Pure religion. So James is not giving a list of specific things to do. In fact, he just was talking about not doing ritualistic practices of the outward show only. So this is not a specific thing that if you're doing these things, then you have pure religion. It has to do with your conduct. It has to do with your actions. He started with speech. Now he's going to our actions. Conduct and character, disciplined by the word. Now it's good if you were to go and visit the fatherless. It's good to go and visit a widow. It's good to go and visit people in the hospital or, or at their home or whatever. That's not, a th- that's not what we're saying here. What we are saying is that's not the end. It goes on. How is your conduct at all time? Those actions relate to your conduct. I'm going to help and minister to people. But what about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? How are we ministering? How are we helping? What are we doing? What is our conduct? It's a life of our lives, the manner of our lives that indicates true religion, that indicates true Christianity. J. Vernon McGee said this. I like this. How many of you have heard the phrase, Christianity is not, a rela- is not a religion, it's a relationship? Have you heard people say that before? Here's what J. Vernon McGee says. I think this is a better way of saying it. Christianity is not a religion, it is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. You either have him or you don't. An indication of this is in our speech, in our conduct. That's the positive side. Pure religion. The positive side. And verse 27 has the negative side too. To be unspotted from the world. It has both. That's the falling into the slow to wrath part of verse 19. To be unspotted from the world. And it has to do with our character. Our conduct is the actions. The character is inside. It's how we are when no one's around. A person's character is shown by the reaction to life's issues. I think some modern versions, instead of using the word unspotted, they use the word polluted. Yours may say that. When I think about polluted, I think about water. I love water. I drink a lot of water, okay? But I don't drink the water from Jones Lake. It's brown. It doesn't look appetizing, okay? It's, pollute, it's not polluted like it's got the stuff from the pine, you know, the tannin, you know, but, but I don't drink that water. It's polluted. That's, I always think about polluted water. But we lay aside filthiness. That's the contrast to verse 21. We lay aside the filthiness. We lay aside the superfluity of naughtiness that it says in the King James, the excess of continuing in evil. We're not polluted by the world system. 
okay? Uh, if water is polluted when something for and it's not supposed to be there is put into it, then our minds are polluted when something from the world is put into our minds. When we allow things into our minds, we're allowing it to be polluted and it affects our character. So instead, we should have God's word coming into our minds so that our character uh, is, is pure, that we are unspotted from the world. Contrasting mere acts of worship with a true Christian is. James is admonishing us to consider this. Are we living rightly? related to the word of God? How are we using God's word? If God's word is sufficient for salvation, is it, spiritual, it is also sufficient for your spiritual growth. And so are you allowing, am I allowing God's word to grow and mature you as a Christian? Are you rightly related to the word tonight or are you kidding yourself? 